Hey, everybody. I'm a little late this morning. Wasn't watching my clock. Normally I am, but today I wasn't. <clears throat> well, we got stuff to talk about today, don't we? Yes, we do. <clears throat> and before we do that, excuse me, I would like to invite you to enjoy the simultaneous sip, the thing that binds everybody together. And, and I think that's important in this age of coronavirus. We're all going to have to stick together to get through this thing. And all you need is a cup or a mug or a glass, a tank or chalice or stein, a canteen jug or flask, a festival of any kind. Fill it with your favorite liquid. Did you know I like coffee? And get ready <laughs> for the unparalleled pleasure, the dopamine of the day, the thing that makes everything better, including the coronavirus. Go. Ah. Well, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. It always feels good to have a sense of control over your life, even if you don't. Because psychologically, you want to feel like you have control, even if that's not exactly true. And that's uh, important today, because we're watching this coronavirus come toward us, and we're saying, well, what do we do? I'd like to do something, if I could. Let me, let me give you a concrete example. If I could find a way, just personally, just, just me, the, a voter, an individual, a citizen, if I could find a way to directly protect an, a senior citizen or a group of them, I'd do it. I don't know exactly how to do that, but if I knew how, I'd do it. We're certainly at a place where standing on the sidelines doesn't make sense anymore. If you're still on the sidelines about the coronavirus, meaning that you're just not paying attention to it or you're not doing anything about it, it's probably time to get off the sidelines. Probably time. Now, I, I do not caution panic, because I don't think we're there at all. But part of the reason we shouldn't panic is that we're pretty good at dealing with this sort of stuff. This sort of stuff meaning any kind of emergency. Humans are pretty good at it, and Americans are especially good at it. And I would say you should do at least the following things, at the very least. Take care of yourself. You should, and I'll tell you what I'm doing. So every day I'm taking a, you know, a 45-minute walk in the sun. I'm not over-exercising because I don't want to lower my resistance. But I'm getting some sun. Maybe the vitamin D helps. Maybe it doesn't, but it makes me feel good. It, it's good for my health. So I would say take a walk. Don't go to the gym. The gym is, well, well, there are people at the gym. Keep your gym membership. You might need it later. But take a walk. Go for a run. Enjoy the outdoors. Get some sun. Uh, it, it's, not, it's not just a distraction. It might actually help protect you. Eat right and make sure you get enough sleep. I know, I know. Somebody telling you to get enough sleep, it's just blah, 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 blah. But getting enough sleep this year... 2020 in the age of coronavirus, it actually makes a difference because the amount of sleep you get is a, is a big deal to your, uh, <clears throat> to your overall immune situation. Now, I'm not a doctor, and I don't know if any of the things that I'm suggesting makes a big difference. I think it probably makes a difference, 
<clears throat> but I'm not a doctor, so don't take any medical advice from me. Here's the advice you should take from me. It will make you feel like you're doing something. I think it is doing something. But the important thing is, you know, if you're feeling a little stressful about what's happening, go do something. Take control. Take control of yourself. Change your situation. Maybe you'll think about bringing in some food, a little extra food, just in case. I personally think we're not going to run out of food. I personally think we're not going to have some kind of a supply line disruption that actually makes life difficult. I think it will be annoying at worst. That's my prediction. But of course, there's a wide range of possibilities, and you should be ready for all of them. Um, Yesterday, I did an extended interview with Naval Ravikant. I don't know that that's posted yet, and I will tweet it when it is. So I did that offline. I, I still cannot find any technology that will allow me to create a good side-by-side interview in a reliable way. There, there are a number of ways to do it, but none of them are reliable. They all require you know, kludgy combinations of third-party software and, and things that don't always work. So I recorded that um, just using Zoom and put that... That'll be up sometime today. I'll tweet about it when it's up. Um, if you don't know Naval, well, you should... <laughs> so N- Naval is one of the... I was trying to think yesterday how many people would be known in the, in the tech world. Let's just you know keep it there. In the tech world, how many people would you identify by their first name? Well, there's Jack, right? Jack Dorsey, everybody identifies him by first name. Uh, there's Elon. It has more to do with the fact that it's a unique name. And then there's Naval. And I was trying to think of another one, and I couldn't, because they're either common names like Bill or Steve or Mark or something. Uh, so Naval is the clearest thinker I've ever known. So if you're trying to figure out how to, how to think about a situation, listen to whatever he says, and then at least consider it, because it's, it's going to be a clearer, wider, and deeper view than probably whatever you started with. He's remarkable that way. Um, so I wanted to get his thoughts on the coronavirus, not because he's a scientist, not because I'm a scientist, but because sometimes you just need people to package things in the way that, um, that helps you the most. So think of it that way, framing the situation, packaging it, helping you see it through a f- couple of different windows, um, that sort of thing. All right. Um, the... I don't know if we have fully uh, understood how powerful President Trump's pardons are for the entire political system. And here's my point. If, the, if a politician does something that's good for, let's say it's a good policy, then people say, hey, that politician made a good policy. And if it's a good policy, let's say for the, the black citizens of this country... People might say, that's a good policy for black people. That helps us more than other people. Um, But a policy is sort of impersonal. It doesn't really tell you about the person who was behind it. Maybe they did it just for political purposes or whatever. But it feels like just doing their job. But these pardons 
that Kim Kardashian is working out with President Trump. I guess there were three more, three more in addition to the, the one with Alice Johnson that Kim Kardashian got. And I want to say a couple things about that. First of all, my God, Kim Kardashian, what a great citizen. Just, I, I'm always impressed by somebody who doesn't have to do the work. Somebody who doesn't have to do the hard work. Kim Kardashian doesn't have to do anything for anybody else. She has what she needs. She's good at it, very good at it. She doesn't have to help the public, and she certainly doesn't have to help specific individuals, but she is. So um, Kim Kardashian continues to rise, in, in, in my opinion, of you know, one of the best people around. Uh, and we should recognize that. But here's my point. President Trump is giving um, pardons to individuals. That's different from having a, a program. Program's good. You should do that if you can. But there, there's something far more powerful about individual pardons. And, and here's why. If you're trying to decide, hey, what's in President Trump's mind? What's he thinking? Is he privately disliking people who look like me? Because that's what his critics say, right? The critics say, well, in his mind, his secret thoughts, he's really kind of racist. That's what his critics say. Now, if, he, if all he did was support a policy that was good for minorities, would you say, well, that proves he's not a racist? Maybe not. You'd say, well, I don't know, that's just sort of doing his job. There were a lot of votes for that policy. He was just agreeing with his party. It doesn't say anything about the politician. But when, he, but when the president looks at an individual person and pardons that individual person, that's personal. It's completely personal. And, you, and I think you register it differently. And I think the president knows that, which is partly why he's doing it and partly why he's doing it now. So it's never not political, but you register it very differently. A personal act for a range, uh, now there have been four of them, um, four of them just through Kim Kardashian. I'm not sure how many others. But when you see the president pardoning people on an individual basis like that, and, and these are people who were in jail for real crimes. These were not people who were um, unfairly accused. They, they may have been over-sentenced, over but they, they certainly did the crimes. And... It just looks like it's hard to reconcile in your head how could this man be a racist while he's doing you know, one black woman, I think, I think they're all black women, uh, after another, pardoning them for actual crimes. You know, again, these are reasonable pardons. They fall, they fall easily within the, the realm that a reasonable person will say, yeah, I can see that, I can see that. Uh, so I just wanted to point that out for its persuasion power. It's way more powerful than you think. And at this point, I think we're, we're going to be surprised at how many uh, black votes President Trump gets. Because it's little stuff like this. It just, it's just really powerful. Um, and then he's got you know, other things that he can, he can look to. So he's got a good record going. Um, I'm happy about that. So here's some more stuff. Um, the Federalist... It has been uh, 
in a couple different ways. Molly Hemingway, who works there, and also Sean Davis. I think he's a founder, a founder, publisher, editor. Um, one of those things, or two of those things, or three of them. And here's uh, Sean Davis's uh, tweet. He said, "If only Bloomberg had hired Russians to buy a hundred thousand dollars in barely literate Facebook ads, instead of spending seven hundred million, he'd be president now." <laughs> That's what the media have told us for three-plus years. So here's the question. Did Bloomberg prove that money can't buy an election, or did he prove that it can? It just didn't work in this case. I would argue very strongly that he proved it can. He just didn't win. Now, these uh, Trump... You know, Trump only won by a narrow margin in, in a few battleground states, if you, if you take it down to that level. Um, could a Bloomberg-level um, spending have changed that result? Probably. I mean, Bloomberg went from nothing to the teens in support. That's a pretty big move from zero to the teens without any prior experience in, in this sort of thing. So I think that Bloomberg proved money makes a difference, but you still need a candidate. <laughs> you, can't get away, you can't get away with that. So I think everybody who says money didn't work, you're really ignoring the candidate here. Um, let me put it this way. If you put me in the presidential race with $700 million, I think I'd have gotten in the top two. Maybe not, maybe not top one. But I'm pretty sure I could have gotten into the top two with $700 million because I would be a better candidate than Bloomberg. And by the way, I don't think I would be a good candidate. You know, on a scale of 1 to 10, I'd be uh, 6 on my best day. If someone you know, was generous, they may, might say I'm a 7 and a 10. But Bloomberg was a 3. <laughs> he was a 3. He was really terrible at that. I mean, really terrible as, as a politician, leader type, uh, public speaker and debater. So uh, it's very funny to mock the Russians and their hundred thousand dollars of barely literate Facebook ads, which I, which I do believe had no impact whatsoever. Because you know how how many of those people in the battleground states saw a Russia Facebook ad barely literate and said, you know, I changed my mind. I'm going to go. Go for Trump. Nobody. All right. Uh, Trump is getting in trouble for saying he has a, a hunch, hunch being the key word here, that the coronavirus virality is not as high as the scientists are saying at the moment. And, of course, what do the Democrats say when the president says, I have a hunch it's not as bad as the scientists are saying? Well, of course, this plays into their narrative. He's the anti-science guy. Why is he saying the scientists are wrong with his no knowledge whatsoever? Well, I don't think it's no knowledge. Because you know what I think? Same thing the president thinks. Do you know what lots of reasonable observers think? Same thing the president thinks. Do you think the president came up with this opinion completely on his own? And that there was nobody who was an expert in the room who had ever said, well, you know, it might be, you know, there's a good chance it could be lower. We don't know. But I, th- I would be very surprised if the president is just ignoring 100% of experts 
and just making up a hunch for whatever reason. Now, here's what we know that's new, that's sort of a good news, bad news, and plays into this, this part. Apparently, the coronavirus has split into two major evolutionary trees with lots of, lots of variety, but they're, they're two main strains now. And the 70%, uh, let's see, is it, uh, uh, I, I don't want to get the numbers wrong, so let me just say this. Mo- one of the strains is really bad, and one of them is mild. But here's the fun part. This isn't fun. Let me take that word back. Erase that word. There's nothing fun about the coronavirus. Here's the interesting part. Uh, the bad one seems mostly limited to China, and the, the weaker one seems to be the one that's spreading. Now, is that a coincidence? It could be. It could be just a coincidence. But <clears throat> um, here's me not being a scientist and trying to understand things I've heard. You know, we're all struggling to try to you know, wrestle with the, the science of it, and we're not scientists, so forgive me in advance for whatever I get wrong in the, this next part. But my understanding is that there are certain strains of viruses that would be um, more compatible with or more viral with certain genetic conditions. In other words, if you were Chinese, it could be you're more likely to get one strain than the other. Because I've heard, but I'm not a scientist, so I need a fact check on this. I've heard that some strains can have a preference for some genetic types. So it's entirely possible that China's going to get the bulk of the worst kind. It's not completely restricted, so both of them are everywhere. But, but it's very dominant in China, and it's uh, the opposite outside of China. So one of the possibilities, and it's way too early to say that this is likely, but certainly one of the possibilities is that the United States and maybe other countries will be hit primarily with a weaker version. Now, the other thing that I don't know about and I'd, I would love a fact check on this, if there's somebody, somebody in the medical community or scientific who can answer this. If you get the weak one, if you get the weak strain of the coronavirus, would it give you any protection against catching the stronger version later? That's a pretty important question. And uh, if anybody could get back to me on Twitter, uh, I, would, I would like to know that. Now, it could be it's so different it doesn't help you at all, so we'll find out. Um, now, the president, here's, here's why this ties into the other thing I was saying about the president's hunch. If it's true that there's a mild version, then it's also true there could be lots of people infected who are just unaware of it. And if that's the case, then the vi- virality, you know, it may have a, a different denominator than, than we think, at least in terms of the deadly part. So... Um, we're going to have this blended, this blended death rate that we probably shouldn't. Maybe it'll change. But we should have one death rate that's the, the bad version of the coronavirus, the worst one, and, and another death rate for the milder version. And then if you get one versus the other, or if you're someplace where one is more prevalent than the other, that's better information. But if you combine those two, I think you get a nonsense average. So what we have at the moment... I think, is a nonsense average of two different strains that operate quite differently. Am I wrong? 
Am I wrong that we have a nonsense average at the moment? So when the president says his hunch is it's going to look different, that could be because there's a lot of this less viral uh, or less deadly version. I may be mixing up what's deadly versus what's viral. Um, the, the mild version is less deadly. I'm not entirely sure if it's less viral. That's a separate question. All right. I have heard twice the... Uh, no, I'm not going to say this. I'm sorry. I started something, but I'm not going to tell you. I've told you before that there, uh, one of the ways I trace my influence is by looking for unique word choices. And I'm, I'm seeing some of my unique word choices out in the wild, but I'm not going to tell you what it is until later. But it looks like it's getting out there. All right. Uh, you know, the big news of the day. You know, I could not be more bored by this. It's the, it's the headline. Everybody's talking about it. So Schumer um, stood in front of the Supreme Court and threatened by name, <laughs> by name, Gorsuch and Kavanaugh. For they're, they're working on some kind of case with reproductive rights, abortion. And Schumer actually threatened them by name and said uh, yeah, that the, the whirlwind, whirlwind would be released and you know, they'd, they'd pay for it somehow. Now, here's the thing. Uh, we live in, in a gotcha world and gotcha times and a, in a gotcha election year. So, of course, everybody on the conservative side jumped all over him and said, my God, if Trump had said this, it'd be impeachment time. It probably would. If any Republican had said this, it would be the end of the world. Yeah, kind of would be. Um, but I watched it live. If you watch it live, first of all, it's hard to figure out what's going on because his staff just lied about it and said, oh, he was talking about, he was talking about politicians. He wasn't talking about the Supreme Court. But that was just a bold-faced lie, because if you look at it, he named the Supreme Court members you know, by name. There's, there's no ambiguity about who he was talking about. He named them. <laughs> so he names them, and then he goes into this threatening kind of thing if they make the wrong decision. But if you watched his performance, you could see that he had a smile. So he was, he was doing a performance, and it was that. He, he was performing for a crowd. It was theater. And he had a smile on his face, even though he was talking angrily about you know, the, all the bad things that are happening and what they'll do. But he literally had a smile the whole time. He wasn't even a little bit serious. He was just playing to the crowd. Now, here's my um, hypothesis. Because what you really wonder is, what the hell was he thinking, <laughs> right? What was he thinking, was he actually thinking that he would get revenge on a life-appointed Supreme Court judge and that he was going to say it in public before he did it? That doesn't seem realistic. So it doesn't seem realistic that he intended it the way it has been taken in its worst, worst way. But what the hell was he thinking? Like what, what possible interpretation could you put on that that doesn't make it evil? I will give you one. He was talking without thinking. That's it. I think that's the whole explanation. I believe that he was getting caught up in his own rhetoric. And when he, he thought of this, uh, you'll reap the whirlwind or something like, if you sow the whirlwind, you'll reap it or whatever that saying is. I feel like Joe Biden now. I can't remember common sayings. But 
I think that he sort of fell in love with his own rhetoric, and then he knew he was talking about the Supreme Court, and he just sort of put his rhetoric and the Supreme Court together, and I don't think he knew what he did when he did it. <laughs> I, think it was, I think it was a complete Joe Biden conflating cool rhetoric with the names of the Supreme Court, and I feel like he didn't know he was doing it because of the smile. Because you don't smile like that if you're, if you're saying that seriously. Nobody in the world says, yeah, you know, they're really going to pay for it. That's, that doesn't match. So the smile is the tell. And again, you know, I see in the comments, and you're absolutely right. In the comments, if you're saying, I can't read his mind, this, that's exactly what you should be saying. So you should be treating what I'm saying with 100% skepticism. That's exactly the right way to, to listen to this. I'm just giving you an option. So I'm not saying that that's what he was thinking. I'm saying that of the alternatives of what he was thinking, it was intentional and he meant it. Uh, or it was just uh, he sort of misspoke because he, he got carried away with himself. There's just two possibilities. I would just say that the possibility that he meant it exactly the way it was taken is very low. It's very low, in my opinion. <clears throat> and I have no objection if you, if you disagree with that, because that's just it's speculation and mind reading, and if, and if you disagree, that would be completely fair. All right. Um, I don't think a vaccine's coming. We keep hearing the news that you know they're working on that vaccine. It might take a year, it might take a year and a half. And I've been thinking to myself, yeah, but I'll bet they could do it faster because it's an emergency. You know, you might you might cut some corners in an emergency that you would never do in any other situation. So I was thinking to myself, yeah, they're saying it's eighteen months to a year, but eh, maybe we could get it in nine months. Just internally, I was thinking that. And then I find out a little bit more. We've never, made a, we've never made a vaccine that worked for this sort of thing. <laughs> so this sort of thing being the, these super dangerous you know, types of viruses, apparently it's never been done. So if we were to do it in nine months, it would not only be the fastest you could imagine, but it would be a miracle. In other words, we've never done it. We don't know how to do it. We've never done it, and we don't know how to do it. It's not going to happen. So I think you should make your plans based on uh, a vaccine that either doesn't exist or doesn't work or doesn't work very well. So make your plans for the future based on no vaccine is my, um, is my recommendation. Just assume it's not coming, but you'll still be okay. Most of us. Um, so let's talk about masks. <laughs> I learned out a little bit more about Medical masks. One of the funny things about following the news is you learn about all these things that you never knew you had to learn about. And now I'm you know, a semi-expert on medical masks. And when I say semi, that's probably overstating it. But here's, um, here's something that I didn't know. So you're all seeing in the news these so-called N95 masks. I don't know if that's a rating or a brand or what. But apparently the N95s are the, the ones that the health professionals use. And they're engineered, and they fit your face. You know, you have to fit them. And so, so these are the good ones. 
And you want, you want the medical professionals to have the good ones, because if they have the ones you can just buy at your drugstore, they will not be fully protected, right? Obvious. It's obvious, right? It's obvious that you want your healthcare people to have the good masks, not the crappy drugstore one, except, except apparently there's no research to show that there's any difference. <laughs> the, the only studies that have tried to study it found no statistical difference between wearing the N95 and the you know, weaker versions that are, that are more you know, less designed. So that's not to say it doesn't make a difference. That's a, and that's an important distinction. I'm not saying they don't work or that they're not better. I'm saying there's no science behind it. It could be that common sense is enough to tell you one is better than the other if you were to look at the details. Maybe that's what they're operating off, but it's not scientifically demonstrated, apparently. Um, but not in the bad way, but in the good way. And what I mean by that is that the good masks were no better than the less designed masks at protecting the health professionals. So the bottom line is that the masks work, as far as we know, and as far as the medical community knows, but they don't know that the N95s work better. Somebody's answering my question here. The N95 is a rating. Oh, that makes sense, because there's also an N99. Yeah, it's a filter rating. So it must be 95% of something versus N99 is 99%. There's some even higher level of mask, apparently. Um, So I would say that we can completely uh, dismiss the idea that masks don't work. And I I think we can also dismiss, at least on a practical level, we can dismiss it. Still need some confirmation. But I would dismiss the idea that the poor, poorly designed masks have no value. It seems that they do, but that's still com- not completely proven. All right. Uh, uh, I was going to say something else about masks, but I just forgot it. So maybe I'll get back to that. I saw Tucker Carlson's show. I was just watching it on replay. He was talking about how AT&T employees are being forced to train their uh, foreign replacements. The, I think they're HB1 visa types from other countries, mostly from India. And some of the American employees were angry that they had to train people to be their replacements. Now, one of the things Tucker said is that Silicon Valley likes these HB1 visas because Silicon Valley says they can't find um, American workers to fill these technology jobs. And Tucker, Tucker says that's false. And I wanted to add something to that. And it's this. You have to make a distinction between a technology worker and somebody who actually is a, a technology expert, programmer, technologist. They're not the same thing. A technology worker might be tech support, which is just sort of a, a user-level you know, they don't have to be a tactical expert. So my guess, because I, I live near Silicon Valley, you know, I've got a startup, I've been involved in this world a long time, I can tell you for sure the, the high-tech companies do not have access to enough technical talents. So the H-1B visas for people who actually know how to program, people with full stacks, that sort of thing, there is a shortage of them. And these companies are 
limited in their growth by access to that kind of person. But it wouldn't surprise me if technology workers, people who do lesser skilled jobs, it wouldn't surprise me if they're being replaced by foreign workers and maybe that's an issue that needs to be addressed. So I think Tucker's on to something, but I, I like to make that distinction. We really do have a shortage and always would, by the way. I don't think there would be any such thing as enough high, highly trained technical workers because the more you have, the more startups get started. So, so you don't hire them all and then you don't need any more. You just create more startups the more you have. So there's no such thing as having enough of the best um, technical people from India. We want more not less. <laughs> you know, if, if you want your country to be prosperous and you want Americans to have jobs, bring in, you know, bring in a high-end Indian programmer and have them start a company. You're going to make some jobs. Because we weren't doing it without them. In other words, you know, the more of them we have, the better. Um, one prediction I made, which is wasn't a hard prediction, is that Amazon would would go crazy because we'd have a lot of business. Now, of course, they have challenges with their own supply chain, but I think they have that mostly under control. Their real problem is that demand is so high. People are ordering from Amazon to stock up, but I think that that's going to create a habit that some of us already had and others were, were are getting hooked on it. So I think the days of going to stores, which had been, of course, in a long decline, you know, we were doing more online shopping, but I think this last this last little shock, the coronavirus, um, it's going to take Amazon and everybody else who sells online into another, into another realm, I think. I mean, think about it. This could go through Christmas. You know, if we're still dealing with this or even talking about it at Christmas, you're going to buy everything online. All right. What else we got going here? I'll just make you wait while I'm looking at my notes. That's fun. All right, well, that's about all I got today. There's, there's not much going on. I think this, this Schumer thing is just a whole lot of uh, political nothing. Uh, I think the coronavirus is the only story that's worth having. I think that uh, watching the, the Joe Biden story is fascinating. Uh, also watching Tucker. You know, Tucker was, uh, and I always appreciate this, because Tucker was uh, confessing more than once on just yesterday's show that he had been saying with complete certainty Biden will never get the nomination, and now he's saying that, at least apparently, it looks like that's wrong. So the first thing I appreciate is anybody who says, I predicted this, I was 100% wrong. I just, I just always appreciate that. Um, but I'm not so sure it's over. I think we're a little bit quick on this. I think it will be. I mean, my prediction at this point is that it's going to be Kamala Harris. Oh, did I say Kamala Harris? Uh, What I meant was Joe Biden would pick Kamala Harris as the vice president, and through her, the real power of the presidency would flow, meaning that Joe wouldn't really be in charge if he were the president. And I think people are starting to say that. Uh, And you're you're seeing it expressed as a question, which is actually more powerful persuasion. If you get a chance... If you want to use this persuasion, let me tell you the strong form. The weak form is if Joe Biden is president, Hillary Clinton will be using him as a puppet 
or Obama or somebody else. That's a direct statement. When you make a direct statement of fact, it's easy for people to say, no, that's not true. That's not true. So it's not very persuasive because people just reflexively say, ah, that's not true. It's going to be Joe Biden. So put it in the form of a question. I saw somebody do this on Twitter. I wish I could credit them, but I don't remember. It's more powerful, and it goes like this. If Joe Biden becomes president, who's really running the country? See the difference? If you say who's running the country, then it allows everybody to inhabit the question with their own answer. The thing you don't disagree with is your own opinion. You always disagree with other people's opinion if they're on the other side. It's just a reflex. But you can take that reflex away by, by putting it in question form. You say, if Joe Biden's president, in all seriousness, who's running the country? Because you know, even the Democrats, this is just an opinion, again, this would be mind reading, but it's my impression, my speculation at best, the Democrats can see it too. And when I say they can see it too, I mean that they're watching Joe Biden just like we are, and they're not seeing a different Joe Biden, I think. Now, it's possible that Democrats are, are caught in a two-movie situation and they actually don't see it. But can anybody confirm for me? Uh, let me ask the question. I'll bet, I'll bet there are, there's enough data points right here in the comments. So in the comments, tell me, have you talked to any uh, people who are Biden supporters, even if they're reluctant? They may have come over from some other candidate they were supporting. But anybody who's a current Biden supporter, has anybody said to you that they can see his, his mental acuity starting to decline? Has anybody said that? Because I'm actually curious. It's a good question whether it's only obvious to one side. And the reason I ask that is, remember, it wasn't long ago that every Democrat in the world was looking at President Trump and said, there's something wrong with his brain. But while they were doing that, the Republicans were looking at the same thing and saying, I don't see it. I don't see it. And in fact, I've argued that um, since 2015, and I think I'm going to take credit for being... Well, okay, I'm going to be immodest for a moment. Um, I can't prove this, but it's my opinion that I am the primary reason that people see President Trump as a good communicator with tools that are designed to do this thing, uh, as opposed to a random crazy guy who's just spouting things. I think I'm the biggest influence on that. But the surprising part is that the Democrats have bought into it. At this point, even the, the, most, the most virul, virulent, I shouldn't say that word in public, virulent, um, even the most rabid Trump hater at this point in 2020 would also say, grudgingly, but he is really good at this stuff. He's really good at this campaigning. He does give a rally that's quite a show. He does... He does persuade. So even, even people who are inclined to hate him are saying that. So we had the two movies with Trump. But do we have two movies with Biden? Because it feels like people are seeing the same movie on him. I just don't know. Somebody says uh, there's, 
that Biden has a stutter, or has a stutter he's overcome, I guess he had one, and that that might be causing him to, you know, pause in sentences and, you know, try to figure out how to say stuff. Maybe. I mean, that could be part of it, but it doesn't seem to explain what we're seeing. I mean, your stutter doesn't, um, your stutter doesn't make you forget a common saying or forget where your wife is or anything. And by the way, the, the wife and sister thing, totally overblown. He was literally facing forward and they switched sides behind him. Uh, it, it looked like a gaff, and we all had fun with it. We treated it that way. But that's not a gaff that you wouldn't have made. I mean, put yourself in that situation. You're standing at the podium. Your entire focus is on the crowd. Your wife and your sister switch places behind you. Are you going to catch that in time? No. <laughs> Probably not. Because <clears throat> he, cause he, he, he motioned to who he thought was his sister without actually looking first. So it was a gaffe. It was embarrassing. We all had fun with it. I don't think that one means anything. I think the other ones do. Oh, I do think the other ones do. <laughs> you know, so this one's just political, but I think the other stuff suggests there's there's a problem there. Um, but watching the uh, watching Trump start to settle on uh, on Biden's brain as his main. His main angle of attack is going to be really fun. <laughs> it's not going to be, it's it's not going to be uh, kind, but it's going to be fun. So he's already saying that uh, Biden doesn't know what he's saying and doesn't know what he's talking about, and that will be great. All right, uh, looking at your comments. He says, somebody's saying once in office they'll give him mind-altering drugs like they give new presidents. <laughs> um, well, I don't think so. I've got to show you a picture I took yesterday outside. Uh, I don't want to start a, uh, a rumor, but this one's kind of fun. So you probably can't see it, but I, I went outside and I was just filming the sky in my neighborhood. Look at all the contrails. There's... <laughs> There, there was some, some kind of like world record number of uh, contrails. Now, it's only funny because the coronavirus is out there, which, again, is not funny. There's nothing funny about the coronavirus. But it was uh, our simulation likes to serve up coincidences. And just when you think the government might be you know, spraying the planet to, I don't know, get rid of the coronavirus, you see all these contrails up there. Now, just to be clear... It's just a coincidence, and I'm not a believer in contrails, none of that. But when I walked outside and I looked up, I was like, I've never seen this many before all at the same time. So I thought it was worth taking a picture. But don't make anything of it. It's not, it's not uh, real. All right, that's all I got. I'll talk to you later.